Let's turn in our Bibles today to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. As you're well aware from the time of gospel mission, uh, rather than returning straight away to expound 1 Peter, um, we have been just looking at individual messages that I believe the Lord had laid on my heart. <clears throat> this is another of those messages. We've already looked at the words Jehovah Shema, and we've looked at a message from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 30. And today we're wanting to look at something else from Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and we'll read from the verse 1. <clears throat> Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 10. And we pray God will stand with his own approval and blessing this reading of his inerrant and infallible word. Uh, let, let's just bow in prayer with our Bibles open. Uh, Lord, we thank thee for the singing of thy people offering praise to thee today. We thank thee that thou dost inhabit the praise of thy people. And we do desire that the fruit of our lips... The adoration of our hearts will be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, we know you've made the nightingales and the crows to sing. And even though our voice at times can be crooky, and we recognize that thou dost know our hearts. And we can still say to our soul, bless the Lord, O my soul. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. We thank thee for who thou art, for what thou hast done We. Worship thee as our creator and maker. We, we bless thee as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, we thank thee that thou art a God of love and grace. And, and thou art a holy God and a God to be feared. 
And we pray that as we continue to wait on in thy presence that thou would draw near and meet with us. We thank you for thy word and that we bless thee that thou hast a word for us. Thou, thou hasn't left us in the dark and we just look to thee that you'll come to our hearts at this time and that you'll apply your word by your spirit. We, we thank thee that thou can uh, uh, say to us today uh, that um, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Make it such at this time. Make it sweeter than honey to our taste. Lord, make it a hammer that breaks into our hardened hearts. We wait upon thee. We pray for the outpouring of thy spirit. We, we thank you for thy people. We, we thank you for their presence here today. We thank you for their sacrificial giving. And Lord, you know our need. We look to thee as Jehovah Jireh. When we think about the need for souls to be saved, household salvation to be given, new families to be brought in, the work to be strengthened, Lord, you know our state of heart and mind at this time. You know our fears and worries for the future. You know all about the building work of the church. And we commit that to thee. We acknowledge that thou art indeed Jehovah Jireh. See and provide for us. Be merciful to us. Don't leave us as we are. Come and help us, we pray. Strengthen. This is thy work. We acknowledge that it's up to thee to bless. We hold up thy promise. I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And to this end we plead the blood. Protect us from the onslaughts of hell and the devil. And help us to see advancement and increase according to thy mind and thy will. Bless, Lord, those that have had to undergo operations this week. Undertake, Lord, continually for them. Meet their need. Keep thy hand upon them. Bless them and do them good. Remember those, Lord, at home and nursing home. Undertake for them. Give them thy help and thy spirit. And we just look to thee, Lord, at these times, that you'll draw strangely near to every heart. And even those that heart hurt, even those in the bitterness of sorrow, even those, O oh God, who are facing difficulty of one sort or another, draw near and we pray you'll put your arms around, hold them close to thyself, bless us and do us good, and just help us in these days. We wait upon thee now to this end. Cleanse and cover us with the blood. Pour out thy spirit. Meet the need of our heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now my text this morning is taken from Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And my subject today is God's antidote for discouragement. The Bible says in Galatians 6 and 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If we faint not. God's antidote for discouragement. Now the devil, I believe, has many weapons in his arsenal for attacking and hindering the work and the people of God. The Apostle Paul states as he contemplated the strategy of the devil, for we are not ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. Now one such device and weapon that the devil uses today to great effect is the weapon of discouragement. Many of God's people today, even in our free Presbyterian churches and beyond, are greatly discouraged in the work of God and have become weary. Now that's true of preachers pastors and people alike. Uh, situations have arisen. 
circumstances have developed and the devil has used those situations and circumstances to his own end to bring discouragement into the hearts and minds of the people of God. You see, the devil knows exactly what discouragement does to individual souls. Discouragement can sap of us, us of energy and strength to carry on the work. In fact, it can bring the work of God to a standstill. It can leave the individual joyless, complacent, apathetic, almost spiritually lifeless. Think of individuals going through the motions of worship, going through the motions of working for God. And yet the reality is their heart is no longer in it. And they have sunk into the slough of despond. Their hearts are full of doubt and despair. And you see, at that point, then we begin to listen to the lies of the devil. And I have heard them. God cannot revive the church. God cannot save souls. God cannot bring new families into small churches. God cannot sort out our problems and difficulties. God cannot finance our need. God cannot give me household salvation. I've been praying for years for my loved ones. And I've not seen them saved yet. And they're never going to be saved. I've even heard that said, there's no future now for the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster. We might as well close up the doors and go home. Go back to Presbyterianism. I want to tell you it's a lie of the devil. I want to tell you it's the devil's work to sow doubt and to breed discouragement into the hearts and minds of God's people. And it's all designed to hinder the work of God. Dr. R.A. Torrey, whom I didn't know, but whom I enjoy reading, said, I refuse to listen to the discouragements and the doubts of the devil. Now, if you're here today and you're discouraged in your own Christian experience, you're fed up, you're weary, you feel it quitting, and your heart and mind is full of doubt about the work of God here in general and in the free church in particular, then I've got a word from God for you. Now, are you listening this morning? A word from the living and the true God. A word from heaven. A word for you individually this morning. A word that I believe God has burned into my heart and mind over these past two and three weeks. A word that has come to me personally. A word that has been blessed to my heart. A word about how to keep going in the work of God. A word whereby we can persevere and press on with God. And it's a word not to lose heart. It's a word today for every downcast, downbeat believer in the church. A word not to give up or to give in in the face of the tactic of the devil. And that word today is taken from Galatians 6 and 9. Listen to the text and let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Look at the book now. 
Not cost you anything to look at the scripture. Not only listen to me. Look at what's there. Here's a word from God. Now I want to say this is not a word from me just as the minister. This is not a word from the session of the church. I want you to receive it this morning as a word from God. Uh, the, the, the word of the living God. You see, we believe as free Presbyterians that the Bible's infallible, that the Bible's inerrant, that it's verbally inspired. Uh, the Solomon said, he was taught this from his, uh, by his mother uh, when he was but a child. Every word of God is pure. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God that is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So let's fill our hearts and minds this morning with a word from God. And if you hear nothing else in church this morning, if you listen to nothing else this morning, at least get the text. At least say, well, God has spoken, and this is what he says, and quote the words. As I thought of this text of Scripture, there's three things come to mind. Notice, there's a command to be exercised. And let us not be weary in well doing now what does the apostle Paul mean by well doing this is an activity that obviously has been exercised and engaged in by the people in Galatia in the past the church has been going about the work of well doing and he is commanding them not to stop in well-doing, not to give up in well-doing. This is a command that he repeats in Second Thessalonians chapter 3 in verse 13. Be not weary in well-doing. And as I thought of the words well-doing, I asked myself, well, well, what does this mean? If these are God's words... What do they mean? And then, of course, I remembered the context. The book of Galatia, the letter to the Galatian church, was really an emergency epistle. Men had come into Galatia preaching another gospel, not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, preaching a false message. And the church had been doing well in the spread and proclamation of the gospel. And now in that church, division has come. Now discord has been sown. Now there's doubt. Now there's discouragement. And the apostle Paul, picking up the pen, um, writing at the end of the letter, says to them, let us not be weary in well-doing. And whatever well-doing is, it's something that they've been engaged in in the past. And it's something that's most agreeable to the heart and mind of God. It's something that's good. It's doing something that God approves of. It's doing something that testifies and singles them out as the children of God. It's a thing that's most suited to them. Let's think of the context. 
doing well to the saints. Look at verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. Brethren, if any... Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Doing well to saints. Our treatment of fellow believers in Christ. What Paul is saying here, I believe, and I'm paraphrasing, you spiritual ones in the church, you should restore the ones that have stumbled and fallen in the way. This is a necessary thing to do. You treat the fallen brother or sister like a nurse or a doctor treats the patient. You need great skill. You need wisdom. You need care. You need love. You need patience. That's your responsibility. Think of this word restore. I looked it up again last night. Do you know what it literally means mending nets? That's fascinating. Matthew chapter 4, 21 talks about the disciples mending nets. And I thought about it, you know, not everyone has the skill to mend a broken net. If you sent me down to Kilkeel Harbour or sent me over there to Port of Ogie and said, I want you to go and help the fisherman to, or men to mend their nets, I would have to tell you, I don't know anything about mending nets. How do you go about it? What do you do? And yet he's using that as an analogy and saying to the spiritual ones in the church, you have responsibility to restore a broken and a wounded spirit. You have a responsibility to restore those whose fellowship with God and the church is broken and marred. He wants the spiritual ones to be involved in this, to see it as, as a responsibility. Those who have fallen, those who are wounded, those who are hurting, those who are lame in the way. In other words, minister to other believers. Think of the context of our verse 9. Look at verse 10. And as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. We link it up with verse 2. Bear ye also one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to help each other. We're, we're, we're to, to pray for one another. We're to love one another. Physically, mentally, spiritually, materially, help, pray, love, serve. You see, we're not isolationists in the Free Presbyterian Church. We, we are part of the body of Christ. We are united to Christ, the head of the church. We are one in Christ. We are members of Christ's body and we have an obligation to help each other in our Christian life. How are we to do it? Notice he mentions here in the spirit of meekness. I, I, I believe not only is the qualification to be spiritual, but there has to be a spirit of meekness and there has to be a fulfilling of the law of Christ. In other words, it's in a Christ-like manner. We're to be like Christ who was meek. 
We're to be like Christ who was humble and obedient. There's no room for selfishness. No room for pride. No room for envy. No room for jealousy. No room for judgmentalism. No good, no, 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 no ground or room for anger or a spirit of aggressiveness. Certainly not filled with a sense of our own importance. But not only seeing this as our responsibility, but giving ourselves to the ministry of others, to build them up, to encourage them, to help them. And in order to do that, we need a right spirit. We need a right attitude. That There's got to be a proper way of approach. Our mind and motive has got to be pure. As we go about such a work. Doing well to the saints. But notice something else here that struck me. Doing well to self. He says in verse 1, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In other words, we take something to our own heart and mind. Let's remember that we're all sinners by nature and sinners by practice. Let's remember we're all prone to sin and prone to error. Look at verse 3. For if a man think of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth of his own self. You know, it's possible for self-deception. A Christian with a great opinion of himself. A Christian full of how high and mighty he is. Boasting of his accomplishments and, and his achievements, even under God. And yet the truth is that his work is to be approved of by the Lord. And we're told in the verse 5, for every man shall bear his own burden. Now you might think that there's a contradiction here. Bear ye one another's burdens, and then for every man shall bear his own burden. Let me just point out to you there's no contradictions in the Bible. There's no errors in the Bible. The, the word burdens in verse 5 is an entirely different Greek word from what it's in verse 2. That's the first point. And the second thing is, is that this different Greek word in verse 5 means conduct. Let every man bear his own conduct. He's responsible for his own life. He is responsible for his carriage through life before God. What about doing well to souls? Let's think today of the burdens of others. Isn't there many burdened with sorrow? They've faced the loss of a loved one. There may be some other problem or difficulty. They may be sad or lonely. Can we not lend a hand to bear the burden of sorrow with them? Their heart and mind has been overcome. And is there no way we can help? What about the burden of sickness? There's those who are sick of body and sick of mind, and they're in a turmoil. Is there no way we can help them? Think about the burden of siblings, <coughs> family life, pressures and problems, caring for children, all the struggles of motherhood and children of, uh, of infancy and upwards, and then parents coping with teenagers, which is even maybe more difficult than, than when they're tiny. Is there no way we can help what about the burden of sin? Lost souls and our families and all around us. Have we a word for them? Are we willing to speak the truth and love to them? Let me tell you a little story. This happened in Ballycastle. There was a big man. He was a brethren man. His name was Hugo Morrison. He was giving out tracts. 
and uh, he had hands on like an avi shovel. He, he, he was built like Goliath. We, we used to fear him uh, when we met him in Korea. But he seen this wee lady coming out of the shop one day and she had two bags of groceries in her hand and she was walking up and he was giving out tracts. Of course, the wee woman had no hands free to take the tract. So as she came up past, he said to the wee woman, I'll stuff this in your bag, dear. And she said something by way of reply, you can stuff it where you like. And he let her walk past and then he shouted at her, Mrs. God will stuff you in hell. She took great boast of telling that to us. You know what I said to him? He said to him, fear and trembling, of course. Mr. Morrison, why didn't you offer to take the little lady's shopping bags home for her? Or carry them to the car? And then you could have presented the track to her and had an opportunity to show the love of Jesus in action. You see, that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. Those that are burdened with sin, have we got a word for them? A right word? A word that will help them? What about doing well and sowing? It doesn't mention make here of, of, of verse 7. Uh, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sowing to the flesh, reap off the flesh. Sow to the Spirit, reap off the Spirit. Let's remember there's nothing hid from the Lord. The Lord knows everything we do. Thou God seest me like Hagar. There has to be a life of sowing. Are we sowing to the flesh? Or are we sowing to the spirit? Remember, be not deceived. The Bible says, He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And we need to be involved in prayer. And we need to be involved in outreach. Folks are not going to come. Like our mission, we've got to continue. Go and compel our loved ones to come in. And we have an opportunity to do that again this Sunday. You, you can go with the invitation and, and say, would you like to come and hear this word of testimony? See, the Apostle Paul is saying to the Galatian church, don't leave off a life of well-doing. Whether it's to the saints, whether it's to yourself, whether it's to the souls of others, or whether it's to the sowing of the gospel seed, don't leave off that life of well-doing. We're not free to do as we please. We're not left to our own devices. No man's an island. We live unto the Lord. Here's a command that is to be exercised. Notice secondly and quickly, there's a counsel to be embraced. Notice what he says, verse 9 again, and let us not be weary. Notice it's stated negatively. Let us not. It's in the negative form. Let us not what? Let us not be weary. And, and the verb there means to become weary. And what does it mean? It means to lose heart. It means to no longer have courage to go on. To exist as someone who is discouraged. So discouraged that they don't want to go on. Resigned already in their heart and mind. They're going to quit. They've already thrown in the towel. And a person like that, it's impossible to raise and arise. Think of a soldier in the battlefield. He's in the heat of the battle he loses heart he, he draws back 
He doesn't continue to face the enemy. He becomes fearful. He becomes discouraged. And at that point, he loses heart and is weary in the fight. I want you to notice something here. And this counsel to be embraced, the reality of it. Let us not be weary. See, this is a comprehensive counsel. Let us. The Apostle Paul includes himself, the mighty Apostle, the great pastor and preacher of many churches in the New Testament, the great evangelist of the Gentiles, writer of 14 of the 27 New Testament books. Let us. He includes himself. Isn't that amazing? You see, it embraces every child of God, the faithful worker, the the prayer warrior, the Sabbath school teacher, the father and mother in the home, the worker in the factory or the farm. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're facing, you're included here. Not only a command to be exercised, but a counsel to be embraced. It's comprehensive. Let us not. This is a challenging command or challenging counsel. Let us not be weary. Let's not lose heart. Let's not quit in our hearts and minds. Yes, we've faced one knock after another. Yes, we've experienced one setback after another. Yes, troubles abound. Troubles don't come singularly. They usually come plurally. Maybe you're at the point where you say, but but preacher, I can't take any more. I am weary. And the word weary here means lose heart to the point where you've slackened the string. It's like a bow with a slack string unable to fire. That's the picture. You see, it's challenging. And isn't it comforting, counsel? Let us not grow weary. The Lord understands us. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're creatures of clay and dust. And he has got a comforting counsel for us. Because this is a word from God for you. This is not from the minister of the session. This is a word from God for you this morning. A, a word for me. Yes, we face the difficulties of the work. But glory to God, we've got a word from the Lord. Isn't it all about, as we said a couple of weeks ago on the Wednesday night, getting a word from God for our souls so that we can press on, so that we can keep going, so that we can persevere? Of course it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, we do grow weak. Yes, there will be periods when we're weary. But he's telling us here, by way of counsel, that's comprehensive and challenging yet comforting, let us not grow weary. And oh, that we could mark the word. Oh, that you could underline the verse in your Bible. Oh, that you could put a circle around the word not. Because God is saying, don't let go. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Now, what are the reasons that we grow weary? Not only the reality of it, but what are the reasons? Let me just mention them to you. Unrewarded work. Much labor. You see, little, few, maybe poor results of any. Imagining laboring at the workplace and not getting any wages. And Friday comes and the boss says to you, have a nice weekend. And you have worked from Monday through to Friday and he doesn't give you your pay packet. And you go home to your wife and she says, well, Where's the money for the groceries? And I need money to pay the bills. And, and, and you say, well, well, the boss didn't give me any. I tell you, she'd be upset. Right? 
Hey, hey man, Stanley, she'd be upset. And more than that, you would be upset yourself. You see, unrewarded work. And, and we in the church, if we lift it up, we're involved in a good work. And today it seems as if the tide is out. We do not see much happening. And because of that, we have grown slack. Because of that, we're losing heart. And I've contemplated, I've thought this, it's possible for a Christian to grow weary in the work of God. And we become disheartened. Yes, we've been busy in prayer. Yes, we've been doing good. Yes, we've been seeking to be faithful. Yes, we've given ourselves wholeheartedly for outreach and the winning of souls. And nothing has happened. And then we become discouraged. And once discouragement takes over, instead of persevering, we just begin to pain. We begin to wallow in pity. Oh, the work's so unproductive. Oh, the work's unrewarded. The work's unappreciated. See, that's one of the reasons. Very quickly, unanswered prayer, that's another reason. You've prayed, you've prayed, you've prayed. And your prayers hasn't been answered yet. And you think to yourself, God doesn't hear me. At least that's what the devil tells us. Prayers haven't been answered. God's not going to answer. And what do we do? We just grow slack in prayer and we give up. Think also very quickly of the attacks of the devil. The devil's opposition because he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Here's another reason, the indifference and inactivity of others. There's many in the church doing nothing for God. They're not at the prayer meeting. They're not even twice on a Sunday at the church services. They're not involved. And their lack of involvement, their apathy, what does it do? It breeds apathy and discouragement among others. Why should I bother? Why should I come? I don't care anymore if they don't care. And we begin to focus on what others are not doing. And then we, we discourage our hearts. Natural weakness is another reason. Our strength is limited. We, we grow tired and weary in the body. And, and then we tell ourselves, well, I can't do it. We become discontented with our lot in life. Here's another strategy of the devil. Maybe we could have a midlife crisis. A bit like Habakkuk, who talked about God reviving his work in the midst of the years. The middle years, we can get discouraged and grow weary. Now, now these are just some of the reasons why we grow weary. Now, what's the remedy? What's the remedy? Turn with me just to two passages of Scripture, and I'll give you the remedy. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 for a moment. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Let's forget about the clock. I'm not even going to mention it. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Let's read this passage. God is here, and God's got a message for us. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. Let's just read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, 
but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. Now, now think of what he says in verse 15 of Hebrews 4. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Do you notice the double negative? The two negatives? Not and cannot. Why is it written like that? I believe it's written like that in order to make it more emphatic. In other words, it's impossible for our high priest not to be sympathetic to us. He doesn't ask us to carry on this work in our own strength. He is with us. He is able to supply grace and help to us in our time of need. Consider our high priest, a sympathetic one in heaven, and it's impossible for him not to help us. And notice this word apostle. Apostle means an ascent one. And Jesus Christ was sent on a mission of mercy. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Aye, and he finished the work that God the Father gave him to do, the work of accomplishing eternal redemption. And Paul, here's the remedy for weariness. Think and focus on the work and the words of Jesus Christ. He didn't grow weary in his work. He, he finished it. Let's think and focus on Christ. Let me just draw this all up with an illustration. There's a lady who swam the English Channel called Florence Chadwick, and she was swimming. I'm not sure which island it was, but she was swimming somewhere in the South Pacific to the coast of California in America. And there was heavy fog. And the fog was so dense that she couldn't see the boat that she was swimming alongside. In fact, she said that you couldn't see your finger in front of you. She could hear voices but see nothing and she swam for 15 miles. Sorry, she swam for 15 hours, non-stop. And then there was a cry came from the water. Take me on board, I can't go on, I'm exhausted. When she got on board the boat, they discovered they were less than half a mile to the California shoreline. She gave up half a mile short of her finish line. And she was asked, why did you quit? And you know what she said? I couldn't see the land. If I had, I would have tried to swim on. And isn't that what we think? I cannot see this or that or the other. I can't see Christ for some reason with the eye of faith. I, I, I can't see uh, one soul being led to Christ. I can't see one backslider being restored. I, 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 can't, I, I can't see any answers to prayer. I haven't seen any problems solved. And you see it haunts us. What are we to do? <coughs> Keep our eyes on Christ. <coughs> Consider him. Take him to our hearts and minds. Focus on him. It was a folly for Florence Chadwick to quit, even though she didn't know she was only half a mile from the California shoreline. And you know what she did? Sometime later she got back into the water and swam when it was clear to the California coastline. It's a folly to quit. Now is that a picture of you? The reality is you're weary. 
And some of the reasons I've mentioned we've touched on, they may be applicable, they may be not, there may be other reasons, but here's the remedy. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. And let us hold on to him. His work is finished. And his words. One final thing. Notice the comfort to be experienced. For in due season we shall reap. If we faint not. Here's the reality of reaping. Our well doing is not going to be in vain. There's a time of harvest coming. Don't judge it now. Wait till the harvest comes. There's a reference, of course, in the Bible to seed time and harvest. In due time we shall reap. That's a reference, of course, implies sowing. In due season we shall reap. If we feel not, reaping refers to the harvest. What encouragement, folks. And that encouragement was given against the backcloth that these people in Galatia were facing a false gospel being preached in their towns and cities. And they're given encouragement to carry on, to strengthen, to labor in that good work. And oh, that we could see the comfort to be experienced. We'll reap in due season if we don't loosen and lax our grip in Christ. <coughs> Will you persevere in faith, looking to the Lord, the author and finisher of our faith? Will you persevere in hope that's sure and certain that there's going to be a harvest even for us in this work? Thomas Watson said, hope to the soul is what cork is to the net. <clears throat> Isn't it the cork that keeps the net to the surface of the water? Hope to the soul, sure and certain, love for the Lord. In our hearts. An opportunity to serve and to do good. And to sow the seed. In due time we'll reap. If we don't quit. Listen and relax. Our holding hand. May the Lord bless these few words to your hearts today.